Well, I definitely, when I look at this passage, um, it's very easy to kind of tune out to this. Because a lot of times we don't, we read this and we're just kind of saying to ourselves, we don't, we don't go through persecution. We don't really understand this. Um, and so because our gap of our experience is so different from what, the, what we just read in the scriptures. We view through our American lenses that we can't even picture this happening. For many of us, our brand of Christianity is the norm. That's the gap of our experience. And so, you know, we look at our persecutions and we look at all the things that um, are, are, are attacking us in our life and we're just like, persecutions? What's that? I was persecuted today. I was persecuted by my toilet. My toilet did not flush last night, actually. And I spent about three hours trying to figure out what was going on with this toilet that would not flush and I tried everything with the bleach and the, well, before the bleach, the vinegar and the, and the baking soda and, and then the hot water and nothing would just take it out. And I'd literally be waiting there over and over and, and still it would not flush. And even today, I went at it again. I went to Home Depot thinking I was going to be victorious with the six-foot auger and I was going to go in there and just have victory. Well, the toilet had victory over me. <laughs> Now, instead of not flushing, it flushes, but now it kind of drains out water and it gurgles, which leads to other issues. And, um, and, and I was just had to sit back and just be like, man, I am so beat down by my toilet. I'm being persecuted by this, this throne <laughs> in my master bathroom. And I'm wondering to myself, okay, if I am just being beat down by a toilet, how can I even stand persecution? When we look at these scriptures and when we look at our experiences, yeah, our freedoms get slighted. Yeah, sure, we go through discomfort in our lives. We go to Krispy Kreme donut because we got our COVID vaccine and, and then they run out of donuts. And that's our idea. Or we get cold coffee at Starbucks and we consider that, oh, this was a terrible day. And sure, there's freedoms in our country that are being taken away. And sure, churches and Bible studies are slighted in nail salons and bars are seen more favorably. I get that. But persecution because of our faith? We don't get bombs getting thrown at us because we're Christians. We don't get targeted by a gun or by a shooter because we decide to go to church today. This persecution, you know, we don't get persecution. Sure, we may get some snide looks or maybe some dirty looks or a snide comment or a really bad opinion article in the Times. But come on, we're in Texas. We got guns. <laughs> and so you may look at me crazy when I say, do I think persecution is coming? Yes. Now, I could be wrong, but that's not, that's not to say that's the only reason why I think it to be true. The reason why we could, that we can take it at face value is that Jesus said it's coming. And if you look in verse 24 and 25, Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master the house, of, the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? 
If this is true, that a disciple is not above his teacher or a slave is not above his master, certainly we who bear the name of Christian, can we expect better treatment than the one we claim to serve? And because Jesus said these words, we got to take this ultra seriously. In the 21st century, believers, they, we cannot sugarcoat this. But we got to expect that times will come of persecution for the church. And in today's global church, it's happening. It's just not happening here because we happen to live in parts of the world where religious freedom is celebrated. But more Christians have been martyred in the 20th century than in all previous centuries combined, according to David Barnett and Todd M. Johnson, two of the world's leading religious demographers. And more than 70 million have died as Christian martyrs since A.D. 33. Over 400 new martyrs die by the end midnight tonight and each day. Friends of mine who have converted to Christianity have to think seriously because if they decide to turn to Christ, they will get disowned by their families, maybe get cut off with the wills, and get mistreated by their families because they've confessed Jesus Christ. It's just that in our day and age and in our areas, our brand of Christianity is normal. In fact, we have a lot less in common with the persecuted church. But actually, the persecuted church had more in common with the early church. And if we want to be a church that is authentic reflection of the scriptures, we also need to grapple with suffering and persecution. So what did Jesus say about persecution, and how should we handle it? Let's look at verses 16 um, to 23. The first thing that we see is that when persecution comes, be wise. Jesus says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. So in other words, we, when persecution comes, we got to be wise as serpents, but as gentle as doves. In other words, we are not to ignore persecution, but we are to expect it. Jesus says that persecution is not a matter of if, but when. And Jesus knew exactly what his followers were walking into. And now we see in the scriptures that he takes the time to encourage them to be as wise as serpents, but as gentle as doves. That's why I love Jesus' heart here. In this passage, which is just supremely weighty, that's why I love Jesus. Because Jesus did not sugarcoat it. Before the disciples had only expected warm receptions from the towns that they want to visit. The worst they would get is maybe a a lack of hospitality, maybe a a shut door, or somebody not giving them clothes or giving them shelter. But now he is saying, behold, look, there is danger ahead. Just before this, Jesus was primarily focused on his disciples being sent to the lost sheep of Israel. We see that in Matthew chapter 9, 35 to 38. But there's a reversal from Matthew chapter 9 to now here in chapter 10. Once they were sent to the sheep, but now they are the sheep and they're being thrown into the middle of hungry wolves. Did you get that? Why the sudden reversal? Why were they at first sent to the sheep's? sent to the sheep, the lost sheep of Israel. But now Jesus says, no, you are the sheep and you're going to be thrown into the wolves. 
Well, after Jesus' first commissioning to their short-term ministry, which was chapter 10, verses 1 through 15, now he is looking at the long game. He knows that the disciples are entering into some dangerous situations, and he's envisioning the road ahead. And that's why in these chapters, in this verse, he switches to the future tense. In less than 10 years, James the, the, James, the brother of Jesus, would be persecuted and beheaded. In another 30 years, Peter will be executed by bloodthirsty Nero, and then Paul would be uh, executed. But Jesus spoke into their situations because he loved them enough to tell the truth. He didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't just say, sorry, guys, there's nothing you can do. You're going to get slaughtered. That's that. Sorry. No. What did he do? He exhorted them to be as wise as servants, but innocent as doves. In other words, he's saying here, a Christian has to be um, smart. They have to be wise. They have to think carefully whenever they get into these dangerous situations. Because when you think of sheep, you think of dumb, right? And also, when you think about doves, there was a reputation that they had in Hosea that they were always viewed as silly. But Jesus says and turns it up on his head and says, no, you need to be smart sheep. You have to be on guard and exercise wisdom. Jesus gave us the ins and outs, not because we can't handle these situations, not because they're out of control, but because he's in control and he's good, even in these difficult situations, and he's telling them to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves, simply because they are called to be witnesses. Jesus now tells them in verse 18 that they should beware of men, which probably means particularly those who are in positions of authority. They will deliver them to the courts, which this word is literally Sanhedrins and speaks of the local ruling council in each locality. And uh, synagogues were also the center of Jewish life. You weren't anyone unless you were connected to the synagogue. And so these were places of worship, but these were central places in a person's life. But these were also places in not which you received privileges, but also where it meted out punishment. Is where the court, if they found you in contempt of any of these crimes or any misdemeanors, the court would sit and gather in judgment and the person in the question would be accused and brought before the court and would be handed their verdict, guilty or non-guilty. And then they would be uh, carried out, their punishment would be carried out. Many times they would be whipped. And they would be whipped with, um, uh, with four thongs, and the thongs would have rocks, rocks and sharp objects that were, were uh, tied to it. And there could be as many as 39 strokes, but no more than that in a Jewish synagogue. And here we see this picture of that Jesus is saying your own people, your own ruling principalities are going to turn against you, and you will receive persecutions from the powers to be in their land. So not only their people would also persecute them, but also they will be forced to appear before great kings and Gentiles, people who are outside the Jewish society. We see this happens um, in church history when you see Peter or, or Paul, actually, who, who appealed before the emperor himself. 
And this doesn't seem to be terrible to us, but when you think about it, you as an illiterate Jew, just think if your five-year-old child were going to come in and they were called to give a defense for themselves in the middle of the Supreme Court. This is not very far off from what the Jewish position, because most of the time they were illiterate, and they were coming before this public defense, before these high officials who were well-versed in philosophy. They were well-versed in detailing their argument and, and speeches and uh, wax eloquence. It was like speaking before a room of PhDs. And imagine the fear if you were an illiterate fisherman Jew coming before the high council. Imagine the stress. And I think this is also, we see Jesus' heart here. Look in verse 19. And Jesus says, and tells them not to worry. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. I love that. Here we see even more of Jesus' heart. That in the midst of these powers, these great authorities, these intimidating uh, people, God the Father says, don't worry. It's not you speaking. It's the spirit of my Father speaking. Just, just open your mouth and I'll give you what you need. I will speak through you, and not only am I going to speak through you, I'm going to be a witness for you in the midst of kings and Gentiles. How incredible this was to the disciples. How amazing and how awesome that their doubts must have been just answered because they knew that, this, that Jesus knew how it was going to play out. Now, this is a, a lot of people have thought that this was... Um, uh, a license for anybody who does public Christian speaking to as an excuse not to prepare. <laughs> now, this is, this is not, this is a completely different context. But Jesus said that there will be times where you cannot prepare for. There will be times which you don't know what will happen to you tomorrow or next week or even next year. But these times will come, and you've got to be sent out as smart sheep. And not only that, that Jesus himself is calling you and I to be a witness before the people. But God says, I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'm going to come behind you. And in, in, a, in Luke's gospel, we even see this to be even clearer. If you look to Luke chapter 21, which is just a couple books over, just after Mark and Luke chapter 21, 15, in a parallel account, Jesus is also comforting his uh, disciples and he's telling them this, for I will give you, in verse 15, for I will give you a mouth and a wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Did you see that? Not only, he, he's going to empower you as witnesses to stand before the authorities of your day. And not only are you going to speak, but you're going to speak with such wisdom and with such authority and with such spiritual power that they won't be able to contradict you. Can you put yourself in the Jewish shoes and imagine you were receiving this charge that Jesus himself and the Spirit of the Father would come and would speak through you and give you 
defense and wisdom far beyond what your natural mind can give you. I mean, just picture that. And picture the fact that the disciples, as they were feeling all the weight of this, man, they were probably feeling, man, we're not defenseless. Yeah, we're being sent out in the middle of the wolves, thanks Jesus, and and left, not left to be slaughtered alone, our God will be with them. Not only that, he will speak through us, but also he will give us authority and wisdom. And we see this happening not two, five, ten years after Jesus' ministry, after his Jesus' death and his resurrection, but literally within the first few months happening to Jesus' disciples. We just see a radical transformation We see this in Peter, who was literally transformed. And when everybody was joking around and they saw the tongues and the power of the Spirit come upon them at Pentecost, everybody was saying, oh man, they just drank too much. They had a little bit too much last night. But Peter goes up and he gives this stirring sermon that leads to 3,000 men, not including women and children, to be cut to the heart. And before Peter even finishes his sermon, they say, Peter, what can we do to be saved? They were cut to the hearts. And the church added 3,000 that very day. And then when you walk through Acts and Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4, we see that um, Peter had gone ahead and healed the lame man. And then they were arrested because they were just adding to the uproar. But because they could not find any fault, they were let go and just warned not to speak about Jesus. They talked back. These fishermen, these ordinary folks, talked back. And he said in Acts chapter 4.20, Whether it was right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen or heard. Multiple times in Acts, you see the Spirit of God alive and well with them. That they were transformed from the maybe the weak and shy and doubtful and anxious ridden disciples into transformed warriors of God. And you see this in the boldness of Paul as well. You see this in the boldness of Paul that he was willing to die. He was willing to go back to Jerusalem knowing that they would kill him. And that's even in the face of a prophetic word in saying um, that somebody said to him that they would be bound in chains if he went back. And that will be your fate, Paul. Sure enough, he does get arrested. But when he makes his defense before the Jewish council after getting arrested, we see the Lord had not left him. After that, it says in the scriptures in Acts chapter 23, 11, it says, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the acts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And then Paul goes ahead and speaks before King Agrippa. He shares his conversion testimony. Then he even gets to the point where he challenges King Agrippa and boldly encourages him to believe in the prophets and in Jesus. And even Agrippa was just like, yeah, pretty soon you're going to be persuading me to, to become a Christian. And Paul says, yeah, that is exactly true. And I don't wish that of everyone who would speak that would hear the words of the gospel except for these chains. The last words of Acts closes off with Paul preaching the kingdom of God to anyone who would hear with all boldness and without hindrance. What happened? What happened that took these 12 disciples, 12 minus 1, not including Judas, and would transform them into warriors Witnesses, outspoken proclaimers of the gospel. 
It is the spirit of the living God. The spirit of God the Father came upon him. And when the spirit of God comes upon you, then persecution is going to happen. It's going to come. But even though when we go through persecution, we have to understand from the scriptures that God will always back up his people. And not only that, he's not going to leave them hanging. He gave the early church great authority. He gave them wisdom to speak to kings and officials. He allowed his people to be persecuted and testify before those on the highest stage. It was so that the word of God would spread and gain a widespread following. And it was clear that persecution grew the early church like nothing else. And you know what? If we were not, or if the early church was not the subject of persecutions, we would not be here. Because that's what drove the Christians in Jerusalem out into Gentile lands or to non-Jewish folks. It was because God was not stopping it with the Jews. The Jews had already rejected, for the most part, rejected the gospel. And now God's plan was going to continue on to the Gentiles, which is, continues on through the first and second centuries all the way down to us. But we see this is that persecution was the norm, especially in the first three centuries of persecution. Listen to this. Paul was beheaded by the crazy emperor Nero in 70 or 67. Peter was martyred upside down by crucifixion, for tradition says that he felt unworthy to die in the same manner as his Lord. This led to three centuries of persecution where Christians were fed to wild dogs. Some were covered in oil, nailed to wood, and set on fire as torches to light the city's streets. During Domitian's reign, from 81 to 96, Domitian believed that he was a god and considered atheism and treason when Christians decided to refuse, refuse to worship anybody but him. And so he killed many Christians and exiled people like John who wrote the book of Revelation. Trajan, from 98 to 117, executed the bishop of Antioch, Ignatius. It's like, that was the lead pastor, Right? He was the lead pastor of pastors, and he was executed. Yet the church kept growing and growing despite the persecution. Why? It's because of Jesus' words to not fight with weapons of man's warfare, but to be wise as serpents, but to be as gentle as doves. Christians would not fight guerrilla warfare, but they would willingly give their lives to martyrdom. And they would pray and forgive the people that executed them, giving witness to the credibility of their, claim, of their claims. Just for example, as pagan families would flee the cities at the first sign of sickness, Christians would stay and minister to the sick and the dying. In fact, many would cheerfully accept the death sentence and die in their stead so that others will be made well. Dionysus, Dionysus an early bishop, wrote this of the early Christians. He writes, quote, Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their very need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy. Many in nursing and, cursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. The best of brothers lost their lives in this manner. A number of presbyters, deacons, and laymen winning height combination so that death in this form, the result of great piety and strong faith, seems in every way the equal of martyrdom. Polycarp, the great bishop, 
when asked to deny Christ or to be fed to the lions, famously said, For 86 years I have been the servant of Christ, and he has done me no wrong. How can I deny the king who saved me? He was burned to the stake, and yet his death inspired thousands upon thousands of Christians to stay faithful to Christ in the midst of persecution so that... Oh, yeah, I should get... I think it'd be some water. (laughs) But in all this tiny cult of no less than a thousand people in 8040 grew explosively to five million less than 300 years later. Christianity became 10% of the Roman population by 380. So I wonder if we preach in our churches today that not only persecution will happen, but we should expect persecution. As Jesus says that this will not only happen with people out in the world, it will happen with people we love. Jesus says that in verse 21, we expected that following Christ would not only lead to bad family tensions, family members would rise up against other family members and put them to death. I can't think of anything more degenerate and more painful than to see my son not only reject Christ, but to turn one of us over. I I can't think of anything worse than that. Those of us who have children who are openly rejecting Jesus now and maybe are in a season of that, that probably hits very close to home. I can't think of anything more discouraging, something that would make me want to quit Christianity altogether. But Jesus said that perseverance will be rewarded with eternal life. Nowhere does Jesus promise us a rescue uh, from physical death so many, because so many have become martyred in the faith. You know, I grew up in the early 1990s. Who, who's, who grew up in the early 1990s? Okay, awesome. Yeah, you're dating yourself. It's okay. But we grew up in the great age of Nintendo. Um, we, Atari was not good enough. It was Nintendo. It was the 8-bit um, and then to the 16-bit. And then I grew up reading the Left Behind book series. Have you ever, have you all read that before? Um, that was really popular. And one of the main tenets of that theology was that Christians would be raptured before the Great Tribulation, mainly uh, a time of testing before Jesus' second coming, a.k.a. that people would just basically escape persecution uh, when that happened. And so people would drive around with these bumper stickers saying, warning, in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned, which I think is totally useless, <laughs> Right? How is that supposed to bring me comfort if you get raptured and you go up to heaven and your car is floating careening into me and it's going to kill me, right? And this was the age before the Tesla, okay? So I think you could put it on the Tesla because at least it will drive itself. But um, that, that wasn't the time in the 1990s. We were still thinking about flying DeLoreans and stuff like that. But this was, again, this version of eschatology was just popular because underneath it all was just an escape from suffering and very much in line with the, with the American dream. And Jesus' message is just completely countercultural. It takes the American dream and it shatters it into pieces. Because of Christ, your families may be hostile to one another. Because of Christ, you will run headlong into suffering. I mean, can you imagine if a church's motto is this, that his motto is preaching Christ to all and being hated by all? 
I wonder how many people would want to go to that church where you're going to be hated by all. I wonder how that would rub against our American ears so much that we want to be comfortable. We want everyone to be happy and wealthy and everybody to be free in what they want to do and get what you want right now. Work hard and you will achieve your dreams. Where Christianity says, surrender all to Christ, even your very lives, for Christ's namesake. Now, we've got to balance it out with verse 23. When you are persecuted, then flee to the next, Jesus says. And I think this is instructive because it tells us that we should not rush headlong into persecution blindly. We should not want persecution. We should not be brash but we should be bold. If there's a way to flee persecution without giving up our Christian witness, then it's probably best to flee because we can bear witness with our words in the next town. And Jesus was balancing it out that sometimes we're a better witness when we're alive than when we're dead. And if there's a chance, if there's a possibility, just go to the next town. It just means you're going to be rejected, but go to the next town. Now, some people read this And they think that Jesus was kind of off base on his predictions because just in the next verse, it says, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And they read this thinking that Jesus was predicting he would come again during the time of the Twelve's post-resurrection ministry. Yet Jesus is not talking about the short game at all. Just like I said, he's envisioning the long game. Jesus was giving mention that the Jews will continue to resist and reject Christ long after the disciples were dead and gone and long before their job was actually done in reaching the Jews. But yet Christians are not called to give up on the Jewish people. The reality is that Christ will continually be preached, but the mission will be incomplete before Jesus comes again. And so we got to keep on being faithful with the mission. And then we return to Jesus' words in verse 24 and 25, which I quoted. If a disciple is not higher than his teacher, nor a servant higher than his master, but can expect to be treated like his teacher or master, what can we Christians expect in this age? If Christ himself was treated, unfairly criticized, condemned, and crucified on a cross, what type of treatment do we expect to receive as Christians? Do we expect to give VIP treatment by the world? Are we thinking that we will never be aligned or maligned for our faith? We need to go into our Christian life expecting persecution but being wise. Because when we go through times of persecution, that is the time in which we grow the most. It's when things are most ugly. It shows the stuff that you really believe. It shows what you're really made of. It really shows what you are believing that is true. So don't think of persecution as a punishment. Think of it as a platform to put Christ and his glories on display. Amen, church? And that's why I'm amazed that like Peter said and counted it and other disciples like him counted it worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of Jesus' name. And that's why they became a a threat. That's why persecution did not Stand against them. That's why the church will be built and the gates of Hades will not prevail against the gospel of Christ. Because the church of Christ is on an offensive and we are not to be in fear, but we are into faith because Jesus has conquered death. Sure, our freedoms are going to be taken away. Sure, our religious liberties are eroding by the minute. But Christ did not save us to be VIPs in this world, but as exiles. 
And he's called us to love Christ and Christ alone more than life itself. Oh, Jesus, your steadfast love is better than life. And if the gates of hell will not come against his church and will not prevail against his church, why should we not be bold to proclaim it? Why do we give ourselves to fear of man or fear of not being like? Let's be like Polycarp who says, for 86 years I've been the servant of Christ and he has done me no wrong. How can I deny the king who saved me? Church, let's get up, let's live wisely and boldly and expect that people are not going to like us. But we are called on a mission. We are called to live wise as serpents, but as gentle as doves. Why don't you stand with me as we come before the Lord of Scripture and now as we come in, in prayer and in the Word or in, in, in worship. Um, we're going to have a time of prayer as the worship team and the prayer team comes up as we usually, usually do. But we want to invite you to um, to come and pray. Maybe you're suffering or struggling with fear of man or, um, you know, with this culture. And maybe you just need prayer, that you would stand strong, that you would love Jesus more than anything that this world can ever offer you. Maybe you want to have more questions about Jesus and you want to know more about walking with him. And you're wondering how can Christians give up their life to follow Jesus. Wherever you are, we just want to encourage you, guests, um, to feel free to come up for prayer. And uh, we'd love to pray for you. We just ask that a man pray with one man, or pray with man, and, or uh, pray that a uh, man would not pray with a woman, um, but in, in anything, uh, anything else. So let's pray and let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you so much, um, God, for your word. Father, it challenges us. Lord, it brings me to repentance. How, Lord, I so fear things and fear man. Lord, forgive me, and, and I pray that, Lord, you would bring me to repentance. Father, I pray that you bring all of us to repentance, that we would see that persecution is not a punishment, but it's a platform for us to be witnesses for your name. And so, God, I pray that you would speak to us in this time, that you would minister to us, God, that you would make us bold, that you would help us to love you, Jesus, like We've never loved you before. We pray that we would see that the victory is yours and we operate out of the victory of, of the cross. And Lord, we can just come before you as your sons and daughters and we can live faithfully in loving you in whatever that looks like. Father, we just lift up this time and we worship you and praise you. And we pray that you would enter this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Please come forward.